All right. Good morning, everybody. How was everybody's Thanksgiving? Short. <laughs> Wait a minute. So, so you guys haven't had four Thanksgiving meals like like I have? Oh yeah, we had Thanksgiving on Thursday. Then we traveled to Baltimore on Friday. Had Thanksgiving again, and then yesterday I had lunch and dinner. Thanksgiving food. I made Wendy make another sweet potato casserole because we ran out after the the, the first couple of Thanksgiving. Anybody uh, watch football? Some people went hunting. Some people got their first deer. That was exciting to hear. Um, any turkey trotters in the room? People run. Yeah. I don't know, I don't know about you people. <laughs> but I hope that everybody's Thanksgiving was blessed. I hope that you guys were able to, to, to just spend time with family, spend time with friends. Um, and uh, now we are entering our uh, Christmas season, our Advent season. So now it is time to put up the lights, right? A uh, little too much? No. Not enough? No. More? Okay. Um, who decorated for Christmas over the weekend? Uh, okay. Who did it like last month when it was still warm? I, I put all of our outside lights up when it was like 65 degrees outside because... Why am I going to stand outside with my hands freezing trying to put these little lights up? How many of you decorated last year, never took it down, and now you're ready again? <laughs> All right. No, the wind blew them down. The wind blew them down. <laughs> well, let's take a look at another Christmas light display this morning. Over Advent, I want to look at the story of the birth of Jesus Christ. And I'm kind of using the, the Christmas carol, this old Christmas carol that we know, Do You Hear What I Hear, um, as a kind of a backdrop. And I, and I had a great video to play for you guys, but then we found out copyright laws, we can't play the video. Um, but maybe we will sing that song in, during a praise time or a hymn time over the course of uh, the Advent season. <clears throat> hint, hint. Um, <laughs> But we'll see. But we are going to look at some of the various events that uh, led up to Jesus' birth and the time of his infancy, his childhood. And again, through the backdrop of do you hear what I hear, uh, I want us to ask a question. What difference does it make? What difference did the birth of Jesus Christ make to those who were there to experience it, for those who we read about in the Bible? What differences did Jesus' uh, childhood have on the people that encountered him? And perhaps most importantly, what difference does it make to us? What does Jesus' birth really mean to us? Does it change anything? Does it make a difference? This morning our sermon is titled, Listen to What I Say. And yes, I've jumbled up the verses. My apologies for those of you who have been singing it in your head the whole time. But how many of you attended school? I mean, and by that I mean you, you weren't homeschooled. How many of you attended like an actual school? Okay, um, how many of you remember your classes being interrupted by somebody coming over the loudspeaker to call somebody to the office or to make some announcement or to get on and say, uh, we will 
we will dismiss two hours early because of the snow that's coming and we all got excited, right? Now I work at a public high school and we have a PA system and it plays this beeping sound before the announcement. We didn't have that when I was a kid. It was just like click, or someone and someone coming to the office. And of course you couldn't understand what they were saying, right? Because that's what it said, it sounded like a, a, a fast food thing. What's wrong with the coming to the office? <laughs> And we were, okay, um, but we have this little beep now, beep, and then we hear whatever the announcement is. Usually this happens at the end of class time to minimize disruptions, right? So like the last minute or two is beep, would so-and-so come to the office? Uh, would so-and-so go to the athletic office? Um, would this teacher call the office? Whatever it is. And our, off, our office secretaries, they're really good. They don't use the PA system unless it's like at the end of class. They don't like interrupt all of the entire school in the middle of a class unless it's really important, unless it's an emergency. But if they need to get a hold of a student, if they want a student to come down to the office, guess what happens? My phone rings in the middle of whatever I'm teaching. So I can be up here and I can be teaching and all of a sudden my phone will ring and I'll have to stop I have to walk over to my phone, because usually I'm about halfway between the, come answer the phone, I gotta turn around so nobody can hear me talking to the person on the phone because of privacy, and then I say yes, can you send so-and-so to the office? Yes, I'll send so-and-so to the office, and then I hang up the phone, and then I grab a pass, and then I start writing the pass, and then I walk the pass to the student, and I say here, and then I can start back to teaching again. And the whole process takes like two or three minutes to, to do. And it's not at all disruptive, you know, to the teaching because my, my students are so paying attention to every word I say all the time that it doesn't matter. <laughs> but if we think about it, how, how often do we have like announcements interrupt, say, I don't know, when we're watching TV? How many of us are watching like Wheel of Fortune or Jeopardy like Wendy and I do and all of a sudden there's like this weather announcement so you hear this and you know this the crawl that goes over the screen and it and it's disruptive because like you can't hear what anybody's saying right or if something really significant happens and and kids you might not have really ever experienced this but your parents have we interrupted this broadcast to bring you this special news bulletin. We go now to New York, and whatever is happening in the world uh, interrupts whatever our normal life is, whatever we're, our, our regularly scheduled programming, right? And they tell us what they think is important, and it's, it is, it's disruptive, it disrupts our flow. We're not expecting these things to happen, and these kind of things just kind of, you know, especially what the, whatever the news is, kind of even, might even interrupt the rhythm of our life. Some things just happen that all of a sudden, nothing that we were just doing is important anymore. In Luke chapter 1, um, and also in Matthew chapter 1, which we're actually not going to have a, a chance to look at this morning, we'll look at later, but... We meet some people whose lives are interrupted by some breaking news reports. And their lives are disrupted forever. And our first disruption appears in Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judah, 
There was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughter of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both of them were advanced in years. So we're introduced to Zechariah and Elizabeth, an old couple. They lived a long life, and as far as we know, the only disruption that they'd ever experienced was maybe some sadness, some disappointment that they were never able to have a child. But they lived according to the law of God. They loved God. They worshiped God. And we learn that Zechariah was a priest. And the author of Matthew goes on to tell us about a regular, normal day in Zechariah's life. I'm sorry, the author of Luke, my apologies. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. So look at those words, according to the custom of the priesthood. So his division, his priests, the guys that he worked with, it was their custom to burn incense. And they would cast lots. They would like draw a name out of a hat every time they would go to burn incense. Okay, Zechariah, it's your turn. You know what to do. We've done this for years. Go in, burn the incense, do your thing. We're going to be out here. We're going to be praying while you burn the incense. This was Zechariah's normal life experience. This is what he did all the time. It was his turn to burn incense in the temple. Now our second normal life shows up a little bit later in Luke chapter 1. We read of a woman, a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Now Mary lived in, a, in Nazareth, and she was getting ready to be married to Joseph. Now Brides didn't prepare for weddings in that time the way that you do today. But they did have some preparation, right? Usually it was the man who made all of the arrangements and did all the things because only men were allowed to do business back in Jesus' time. But all we really know is that Mary was getting ready. She was engaged. She had a fiancé named Joseph. We have some fiancés here today, brand new fiancés. And I had no idea they were going to be here. But they're here. How exciting was it for the family to see this, this proposal? It, was, it had to have been amazing. And here's Mary. She knows she's going to have a great life. And she's going about her day, and she's doing her things, and she's getting ready. And then, of course, there's Joseph, and we read about him in Matthew chapter 1, um, and we're not going to have time really to talk about Joseph too much. We're going to talk about him a little later. Um, but Joseph, again, here's a man getting ready to get married, living his life, just going along. How many of you are just living your life? You go along day by day, right? I go to school every day. I teach every day. Some of you guys go out into the field. Some of you guys go to work. Some of you guys, whatever you're doing, you just, 
this is what ruined the day. But while Zechariah and Mary were just going along, doing their thing, the phone rang. They got an announcement. Their lives were going to be disrupted. First, we see Zechariah in the temple. And he's going about his work. He's doing his thing. He goes up and he's burning the incense. And all of a sudden, there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense, right where Zechariah was. And of course, Zechariah going about his life, going up, burning the incense as he gets up there, sees the angel appear and he says, sup, angel. <laughs> this kind of thing happens to me all the time. No. Maybe he looked at the uh, angel and he's just kind of, hmm, well, there's something you don't see every day. Well, the Bible doesn't tell us that either. No, what it says in Luke 1, 12 is that Zechariah was troubled when he saw the angel and fear fell upon him. Anybody might be fearful if an angel of the Lord appeared to you? No? All right. Just me then. Um, and Zechariah, of course. So fear would likely be a normal reaction to seeing something so extraordinary. At least it would trouble us like Zechariah did. And, and it would probably trouble us like it troubled Mary. The angel Gabriel was sent to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man who was named Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. So here was an angel, and, and we, we learn his name here, Gabriel. And he appears to both of these people, and they were troubled. They were probably wondering, what's going on? Why is this angel here? Is this even real? It's not like they were sleeping. And Gabriel saw their, their nervousness, their, their troubled spirit. He saw their fear, and he responded to each of them by saying, do not fear. Yeah, well, that's helpful. <laughs> but then he calls each of them by name. And then he tells them exactly what he's doing there. First in Zechariah, the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. For your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. Talk about an interruption. Uh, Glenn, Carolyn, you're going to have a baby. Um, <laughs> Glenn's having a little mini heart attack over here. I know you've been barren for all these years, but, uh, you know, Joy, congratulations, you're a mother. Right? <laughs> Talk about a disruption. I mean, put yourself in Zechariah's place. How would you? Even, even just like if you were still of childbearing age and you were done, or maybe you had some things done where you shouldn't get pregnant. 
Somebody comes and says, oh, by the way, you're pregnant. We had friends, <laughs> well, gosh, what, about 16 years ago now, 14 years ago, something like that. And he, he had made it so that he, they, and all of a sudden. <laughs> and the doctor said, oops. <laughs> well, that didn't work. You're going to have a baby. <laughs> Their youngest child at the time was 17. They were almost done, folks. Imagine this old couple being told diapers, feedings, yes, <laughs> build up your energy because you're going to have a kid. It's a little bit disruptive. But as much as it was disruptive for Zechariah, this idea of having a child when he was old, how much of a disruption was Mary about to experience? The angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And this angel was laying some pretty heavy stuff on these people, wasn't he? And they each reacted, I think, maybe, what we would think of as quite naturally, uh, by asking a couple of questions of old Gabriel here. Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? These sound like almost identical questions, don't they? How shall I know this, for I am an old man? How will this be, since I am a virgin? They sound like pretty identical questions. Because these situations sound impossible. Zechariah and Elizabeth are old. Here's an angel telling them they're going to have a kid. Mary's a virgin. Gonna have a kid. Angel then tells Zechariah about the son that they are going to have. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. No pressure on raising this kid, right? Your son's going to do great and mighty things for God, Zechariah. And Zechariah asks what sounds like a reasonable question. How shall I know this? Mary asks, how shall this be? Folks, these questions are worlds apart. When Zechariah asks, how shall I know this? What Zechariah is really 
doing is asking for another sign. I don't trust your words, angel. Can I speak to your manager? I want to hear it from God himself. I mean, really, thanks for telling me all this, but how do I really know it's real? How do I know it's true? What else you got? Sounds a little bit like some Christians today, doesn't it? We experience God's voice calling us to something. Maybe something extraordinary, maybe something difficult, definitely something disruptive. And we hear that voice and it's crystal clear and his instructions are direct. He doesn't give us vague instructions. And what do we do? Well, God, if this is really you, show me a sign. We doubt that it's God speaking to us. Or, more than likely, we don't want to do what he's just asked us to do. We're looking for a loophole to get out of whatever it is that God's just told us to do. Bob, I want you to do this. All right, well, if you really want me to do this, then what you need to do is you need to show me five signs along the way in the next 20 seconds that tell me this is really what you want me to do because really I don't want to do it. In Zechariah's case, in our case, many times, we're doubting or we're just not looking forward to the disruption at this point in our lives. Zechariah, he doesn't know who or what this creature is that's in front of him. If what this creature is saying is true, he wants to hear it from God himself. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. He reminds Zechariah, that what God wants for him is good news. And here's Zechariah still doubting. And as a result, behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. You want to sign, Zechariah? Shut up. <laughs> for nine months there's your sign you wanted one you got one I mean Zechariah we read further in and we don't have time to read all of it today but Zechariah did not speak from then until the time that his son was born and he wrote down on a piece of paper, his name is John. And people thought Zechariah might be a little bit crazy, might be a little bit sick, might be something wrong with Zechariah. But after he wrote down and showed the people his name is John, then his mouth opened. And man, did he have a prayer for God then. 
for the blessings that God had given to him and his wife Elizabeth. Now Mary's response, on the other hand, was a little bit different. She didn't say, how shall this, uh, how, shall, how shall I know this? She said, how shall this be? It's a different question. How will this be since I am a virgin? She doesn't ask for a sign. Mary's not looking for something else great to happen. When Mary says, how will this be since I am a virgin? She's asking, what's next? Angel, I believe what you're telling me. Tell me how it's going to happen. Tell me what's next. I'm a business teacher at my high school, and, and sometimes I can't help but read this little exchange between Mary and Gabriel as a contract negotiation. And it's really kind of interesting to read it that way. Mary, you're going to have a child. Uh, you'll call his name Jesus, and he will save his people from their sins. Well, sounds good, Gabriel. Let's iron out the details. First of all, um, how's this going to work since I'm a virgin? Tell me that. Mary wholeheartedly believes that it will happen. She just wants to know what's next. Is it going to be Joseph's child? Is it going to be... Something else? What's next? Mary has accepted Gabriel's words, which were God's words, as true. This is going to happen to me. Tell me more. And this is the reaction that we should have when we hear that voice from God. When we hear God telling us that we are getting ready to do something new, something different, something that's going to disrupt our lives. Instead of asking for signs that it's going to happen, we should be trusting the word of God and we should be saying, what's next? Tell me more. I'm ready. I understand, Father. I understand what you want me to do. Now show me how to do it. When I was called to become a pastor six years ago, uh, this January actually, six years ago, it was an exciting and it was a confusing time. First of all, because becoming a pastor would be a life-altering disruption in not only my life, but in the lives of my family. I had to uproot my family had to uproot the boys from a school that they loved and from friends that they loved. And we left a church that we loved so that we could move up to Dillsburg to, uh, to pastor this church. We had to move to a new town. We had to sell our house that, that the boys had basically grown up in. And we had to buy a new house. We had, had to find a new house. I had to quit my job because they were looking for a full-time pastor, even though at times I questioned the, the need for them to have a full-time pastor um, and the wisdom of doing that. I think they should have gone bivocational for a while. But the call was come full-time. So I had to quit my job. And to add to all of this, I was not a pastor 
I never attended seminary. The closest I ever got was I took a couple of Bible classes that were required at Messiah College when I was studying communications. I spent 20 years working in the business world. I worked for a bank and then I worked for an insurance company. I wasn't a pastor. I had no experience. I had no training. And I knew that God was calling me to do it. Very early in the process, I started attending the church that, that we would be pastoring. Every once in a while, we'd come up and we'd attend a service. And I was speaking with one of the women, one of the very wise, older women in the congregation. And I was talking to her about my lack of experience. And she gave me some words of wisdom. She looked at me and she said, God doesn't call the equipped, Pastor Joe. God equips those that he calls to do his work. And God showed me the how. As I reflected on her words, okay, yeah, it's great, it sounds good, it makes sense, but how, how does this apply? God doesn't call the equipped, he equips the called. And as I prayed, I could hear God telling me, Joe, you've never preached a sermon, I know this, but you have taught my word at your church many times in other settings, to the youth, to the children, to adult classes. You've never done formal counseling, but remember that time when you and Wendy sat down with your couple friend that were thinking about splitting up? And you walked with them through that and they decided to continue trying and now they're still together. Do you remember that? I was equipping you to be the pastor of this church. Don't you think that might come in handy? These things that I've had you do, instead of looking for proof, God showed me the things that he had set up, even from an early age, that led him to call me to pastor this church. If we would focus on God's call, if we would focus not on am I supposed to do this, but how will I do this? How will God train me? How will God equip me? What will God do in my life to prepare me for the work that he wants me to do? I mean, think about it. Think about a job that you've entered into where you really didn't have a whole lot of experience. And what did they do? They hired you and they showed you how to do what they wanted you to do. When God calls us, he is going to show us exactly how to do what he wants us to do. 
if we will live in obedience to his word, if we will listen to his instruction. And yes, it's going to be disruptive. Mary, <laughs> this was a plan that was going to be disruptive. She asked Gabriel, how shall this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be born, will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. That's what's going to happen, Mary. Oh, and by the way, just in case you have a little doubt, and you haven't expressed any, but just in case, let me tell you about Elizabeth. Let me tell you about your relative. This is already happening for her. And if it can happen for her, it can happen for you. Will you be obedient? God's not calling the equipped, Mary. But he is going to cover you with the love of the Holy Spirit. And he is going to equip you to be the mother of the child of God. And if we are truly obedient to the Father, we will answer the same way that Mary did. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. God, I hear you. I believe you and I trust you. Let's go. Let's do it. This should be our answer regardless of the disruption, regardless of how impossible it sounds, because nothing shall be impossible with God. Father, I accept. Let's do this. You pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for today. We thank you for this time that we can gather together this season of Advent this season of expectation, this season of knowing your love and your joy and your hope. Father, give us the strength of Mary. Give us the strength to hear from you. Give us the strength to know what you would have us do and give us the strength to say, I am your servant. Let it be to me according to your word. And Father, as we do this, as we accept whatever it is that you want for us to do to build your kingdom, let us be joyous when we see the fruits of the labor that we do. 
in your name, with your power, with your instruction. Let us be amazed. Let us stand in awe. And let us glorify you. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, whose coming we expect. Amen. Come as you are. God is not asking for you to be something that you're not. He's not asking you to be someone that you're not. He is asking you to trust that he will equip you to do the things that he wants you to do to build his kingdom. As you go out this week, listen for that voice of God. Listen for his instruction. Answer as Mary did. I am your servant. Let it be according to what you have said. God bless you this week.